How have you deepened your conscious contact with your higher power? What is your practice of prayer and meditation? Welcome to episode 291 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Molly, Terrence, Paula, Eric, and James. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Molly, Terrence, Paula, Eric, and James, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. As you might have gathered from my opening questions, the topic of today's episode is Step 11, as presented by Mary Pearl T. We're working our way through her workshop on the 12 steps, and we're, we're almost to the finish line here. So let's uh, dive in and enjoy her unique perspective, her wonderful stories, her sense of humor as she talks about Step 11. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for the knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. You have to expand your spiritual life if you're going to grow and mature. You know, we've made a start, but you got to keep on. You got to develop this way that, you know, Al-Anon is not my life, it's my way of life. You know, I have more in my life than just Al-Anon. But Al-Anon is a part of my life, it's a part of my way of trying to function and live and to get through things. And if I hadn't had that, I wouldn't have been able to do the last six years with my sister. You know, I've had to learn so much. Like I told you, I took my sister and I put her in her own home and I got someone to stay with her 24 hours a day, seven days a week for over five years. Did you know you can go through a half a million dollars in five years with that? Home care is very expensive because you've got to have someone who can give shots and things of that nature, which is just not everybody are licensed to do that kind of thing. And they become a family member with you, you know. And the, the thing about it is, it's like, how do you take her? And I told Dorothy, I said, Dorothy, we're going to have to put you in the nursing home because financially we just can't afford this anymore. We're going to have to sell your home. And my sister had collected beautiful artifacts from all over the world for years. She had worked for Procter & Gamble for 38 years. And she, like I say, she was the first woman soybean buyer in the South. She was a foremost in her field. She was brilliant. She worked with the Chicago Board of Trade. And she can't read a book because she can't remember from one page to the next. She can read, but she can't retain. And so it's too frustrating for her to try to read because if she reads one page, she can't remember. She was watching CNN news all day long because, you know, it's the same thing. Every 30 minutes, it was new to her. It was new every 30 minutes to her, you know. But these were things, and she doesn't even do that anymore now. She doesn't because she can't do the 30 minutes anymore. Uh, but you've got to have that spiritual expansion. And Dorothy, um, she's got a good spiritual life, you know. She's, she's an inspiration in many, many ways. And she's a blessing to me even though she's in the, the way she is, because, you know, there's one thing I know, and that is my sister loves me. That is one thing that she has not forgotten. 
She has not forgotten that she loves me. Ah, keeping spirituality simple seems to work best for me. I don't know if it does for you. Just ask yourself, one, do I believe there is a God? Two, do I believe God cares for me? Do I trust God to take care of me? Will I allow God to be my best friend? Will I allow God the freedom to do his will in my life? Am I going to give God my cooperation? It's pretty simple. It's all you have to do. If you can answer yes to those questions, you can learn how to live happy, joyous, and free. Step 11 is about discipline. I have to discipline myself to do daily prayer and meditation. When I first started doing meditation, if I could go three or four minutes, that was good. You know? Because my mind has a tendency, yes, I've got to meditate. God is good. God is good. i got to buy groceries. Let's see. I need milk. I need... God is good. God is good. Bring it back. Bring it back. You know, it took me a while to develop the ability to not allow my mind the freedom to wander, but to stay focused on what I was trying to stay focused on. Makes a big difference. I made a decision, like say in steps one, two, and three, I found my higher power and I made my decision to turn my will and my life over. And step six and seven is where I'm allowing God to work in my life to remove all those things that stand in the way. And then I cleaned up the wreckage of my past in eight and nine, living and, and taking a look at my life on a daily basis in ten. And now I'm ready to get to know more about the power. The power to carry things out, you know. Getting more about God, learning about God. And in order to get to know about anybody or anything, I have to spend time with them. If you have somebody you're getting to know, how do you get to know them? By sitting with them, spending time with them, sharing with them, listening to them. And, you know, for a long time, praying was easy as far as, you know, I know how to make a bunch of requests. But the hard part was listening to God for the answers. Because I'd get bored just sitting there. I'm going, it's not working. It's not working. And then all of a sudden, God began to show me things. And one of the first things he showed me was in my aquarium. One day I was wondering about, we were under a bunch of financial stress at the time. And I'm saying, God, how is it all going to turn out? I'm just wondering here how it's all going to turn out. Have you got any input? How is this going? Because, see, I want to know the future. You know, God can see around the corners. I can't. But God gave me a lesson that day. Because before I sat down to meditate, I had put the food out in the aquarium. And there's some fish that eat at the top, and there's some that eat in the middle, and there's some that eat at the bottom. And when the master, which was me, of the fish tank puts the feed out, there's enough for everybody for one day. Because if you put more than that, you sour the water and it kills everything. And so everything everybody needs, no matter what level you are in the tank, you get fed from that one feeding. Isn't that amazing? And I realized what God was telling me is that each day I put the stuff out and there's enough for everybody. You'll get yours. Don't worry. What's the point? If you're going to pray, why worry? And if you want to worry, why bother to pray? You know, it's pretty simple. You're either going to trust God or you're not. And I have to realize that I'm God's kid and I have to learn to act and become what God would have one of his kids to be and do. It's it's not a big deal. He just wants me to think about the fact of what that I am his. 
I'm his kid before I'm anything else in the world, before I'm a wife, before I'm a friend, before I'm a member of Al-Anon, a sponsor. I am God's kid, you know. And am I reflecting the kind of thing that is uh, somebody would want to be attracted to or not? You know, it's like one of the girls I sponsor called me one night, and we had had forecast of some sleet and snow, and we had been taking turns driving to the meeting, and it was her turn. And she said, you know, they got that forecast for sleet. And I said, yeah, but we'll be okay. I prayed about it. No big deal. And she said, she hung up the phone went, whoopee. And so anyway, we started to the meeting, and her daughter was going to Alateen. She was in the car with us, and we got there. And sure enough, during the meeting, we the roads were covered with ice when we came back out. We we don't get near as much ice as, I mean, snow as we get ice where I live. And so as we pulled on to the interstate, and she was coming up to this big overpass, um, all of a sudden she noticed all the lights going every which way, and there was a massive wreck in progress. And so she did what she was supposed to do, and she panicked. <laughs> and she slammed her foot on the brakes. Well, you know, that's the worst possible thing you can do. And so we started in this spin, and I said, turn in the direction of your slide. And she couldn't hear. Fear was louder. And I said it again, turn in the direction of your slide. And she couldn't, so I grabbed the wheel and turned just before we went over the overpass. And uh, we stopped, and uh, the police came in a few minutes, and they said, who'd you hit or who hit you? And I said, no one. And he said, well, what are y'all doing? I said, we're waiting for the traffic to clear. <laughs> and he just looked at us, and we were the only car in a 27-car pileup that did not hit anybody nor was hit by anybody. And we're sitting there, and we're waiting on the traffic, and she turns and she said, I want your God. I said, what? She said, I want your God. You said you prayed and we'd be okay. She said, I want that kind of God that's going to take care of me in this kind of situation. I want your God. So you live your program. I never thought about that going to be what happened or that she was going to get a lesson or anything. I was just telling her that I trusted God was going to get us there and back. You know, so many times, if you don't think about it, when you think of the thousands of miles that I've flown over the years, You know, I have to trust that there's a power greater than me that's going to get me back at some point in time. And if not, well, then that's okay, too. It has to be okay either way. You know, it won't be necessarily what I want, but I'm going to get what I need. And see, prayer is not my opportunity to try and change God's mind, but for me to allow God to change my mind to what he would want. And so many times I would try and tell God what to do in prayer. You know, I knew I wasn't allowed to tell my husband anymore, but I thought I could tell God and he could get him to do it. (laughs) When I'm in confusion, I am not in the will of God because my God is not the author of confusion or chaos. That's my thinking. My God is that calm, still voice that can be heard but it can't be heard over my screaming and fuming and ranting and raving. I can't hear God's voice when I'm screaming, you know, because it's that small, still voice. So when you're having your fit, just remember, can God's voice be heard over yours? Because it's difficult for me. My higher power always gives me the power to do his will. I don't have the power to do my will, 
So one of these things, and when it's happening, I ask myself, is this working? If it's not working, chances are it's my will. It's not his will. His will, he gives me the power to carry it out. My will doesn't usually have the power to carry it out. So many times I think when I pray, I want God to co-sign my will. You know, I've already figured out. And God always has another plan. I ask him, was there anything wrong with my plan? (laughs) Are you just doing this to prove to me there's another way, you know? But what was wrong with my plan here, you know? I love to, there's people that say, you know, that I pray weird, but that's okay. That's between God and me. God's always patient with me. God's a very positive thing. His will is always good and positive. That's how one of the things I can do. And God's will for me is always to act like his kid. Now, when I came in, I was so big on meditation books, I bought everything there was to be had, AA and L, non-meditation book. You know, I can't meditate on 25 things at the same time. I don't know about y'all. It just didn't work for me. It's too much to do. So in the morning, I read a no-dat book. That's one thing. I can, you know, and then, you know, if you take and write down after you finish your page and if you write down a one-liner of what is God's will for me today, what did I get out of that reading? What did that tell me to do or not to do? And put that in your pocket and carry it with you. When you get to a moment of confusion, open, read your little thing again. Bring yourself back in. Center yourself again. If you want to read another meditation, read one right before you go to bed. Think about it till you go to sleep. You know, but to me, you can overdo all that, you know. Um, because I, you just can't remember anything when you're too diversified. That's the reason this program's simple. They tell you to keep it simple. You ever notice that the, the slogan says, keep it simple? It doesn't say get it simple. It's not simple getting it simple. That's what I found out. After Mama died, I decided to simplify my life. That was the hardest thing I ever did, was to simplify my life. My mother was a pack rat. She had stuff... From the day that she arrived in Memphis, I swear. Mama never threw away a butter container, a milk carton, nothing. You never know when you might need that. Of course, you got to remember, here she was without anything. And then after she got a little, the depression came along, took it away again. So my mother's thing was, you never throw anything away because you might need it sometime. Whereas my thing is, if in doubt, toss it out. (laughs) Because I can't stand the clutter. I never have been able to stand. I don't function well in clutter. You know, if in doubt, toss it out. And people say, well, what if you need it again? God will bring it back. You're going to deny God the opportunity to give it to you again. You know, if you really need, God will provide your needs. May not all your wants, but God will provide all your needs to you. And when I pray, I try to have God on my mind. Tell God everything that's on my mind, things that are bothering me, the good, the bad, the garbage. And then I have a God can. I'm sure y'all have God cans up here. You know, I can't God can. You write down your problems and put them in your God can and see what God will do with them. Well, I have a, a pottery jar that says, be still and know that I am God. And so in that, I put all those little things, those little petitions that I have. And then about over six months, I go through it and see what he's done with all of them. Because, see, after he takes care of it, I forget about him. And then I go back through it and I go, oh, yeah, that was a big deal that day. I wonder why that was such a big deal. Look what God did with that. You know, isn't that something? Guess what? Every day you can put something else in. It's okay. And say you have to put the same thing in five or six times if it keeps bothering you. As many times as it bothers you, put it back in the can. You really shouldn't take them back once you give them to God, but God understands that. 
You know, we're human beings, and he understands that. He made us human, and as such, we are imperfect. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. Doesn't expect that. And in the beginning, like I say, I would think I was doing so good on my meditation, but I found out later that, you know, one of the best things I ever learned to meditate on was God loves me. How does God love me? And I begin to see all the different ways that God loves me. You know, one night I was talking to my sponsor, and I said, God never does anything for me. My life is so grim. She said, really? She said, how would you get to the meeting? I said, my car, why? She said, oh, you got a car. Yeah, yeah. She said, how would you get here in the car? And I said, well, I put gas in it. Oh, you had the money to put gas in it. Oh. Where are you going after me? Well, I'm going home. You got a home. I go, yeah, I got a home. I got a car. She said, God never does anything for you, does he? She said, I feel so sorry for you. You know, it's like we take for granted so much of that. One of the girls that I sponsor, her son is in prison for 26 years. And I write to Joe. And Joey will write me things that are just amazing about the gratitude. You know, things that we don't think about in a normal case... It's like he told me, he says, you know one of the things I dream about when I get out? Now, of all the things for being in prison for 26 years, what would you dream about doing when you get out? I can take a bath. I haven't had a bath in 12 years, I think it is now. He says, I love water and I love to swim. He said, I would give anything to be able to take a bath. There are no baths in prison. He said, it would be nice. To be able to go somewhere on the front without having to wait till the first of the hour. You can only move from one location to the next. He's in a federal prison on the top of the hour. And then you're locked in after 10 minutes. And you can't leave that place until the top of the next hour. The freedom that we have to come and go out of a room. He can't receive anything, anything through the mail as a gift. Not a book, nothing. Because somebody will take that and use it to do something they shouldn't. And so he can't. And he says, but you know, he says, I love the fact that you're my friend. And he said, I love the fact, you see, I write to him like I talk to you. And he says, it's so good. Um, I can't send him a tape. They won't let you send him anything. And so one of the guys I met at the International in Toronto takes a meeting to that prison sometimes when they're allowed in. And so one day I got a letter from Joey, and they read every line he writes and every line I write. And so he said, we we got to listen to a tape from a lady in the South. He was real funny. I think you know her. <laughs> so the guy had taken the tape into the prison. You know, but think about, you don't have to live like that. The opportunity, he told me that one day, he says, I had a beautiful thing I saw this morning. I saw a hummingbird out my cell window. Just to be able to see a hummingbird was such a big event in his life. He is so grateful for those little bitty things that we take for granted. See, never take them for for granted. You know, he said he never appreciated life in the fullest until he didn't have it. You know, and that's the truth. We usually don't. There's times when you're going to need to make decisions and you don't know which way to go. And this is where I'll say, God, I'm going to pray about this, and I'm going to ask you to show me in a way that I can understand. And if I still don't get the decision, if I don't have a clear-cut direction, 
I'll say, okay, God, here's what I'm going to do. And if this is not what I'm supposed to do, block it. If it is what I'm supposed to do, bless it. And please show me in a way that I can definitely understand. And then, if I still don't have an answer, I go about doing what's right in front of me to do until I get the answer. Because I've learned some patience over the years, you know. Sometimes you have to wait. You know, I always think God answers us in so many ways. He'll say yes. He'll say no. He'll say not right now. My God will say, you got to be shitting me. Or he'll, say, <laughs> or he'll say, I've got a much better idea, you know. And it's just, you know, it's, that's just the way it is. Sometimes God has a much better idea than what I thought it ought to be. And you just have to wait and watch it life unfold and trust that it is going to be the way it's supposed to be. And you'll never understand it. You know, there's so many questions. I, th- I said, God, when I get there face to face, I've got some questions for you. And my husband says, assuming you get the face to face. The day that I took my sister down to have her admitted into the nursing home was a real traumatic day. Now, um, several weeks before that, I had been looking for someone to care for her schnauzer. She had an old schnauzer. And I knew that my dogs and her dog, her dog is real aggressive. Mine was not. And uh, hers had never been neutered. And so, therefore, he wanted to do the territory thing. And so keeping him wasn't an option. And so I had uh, a girlfriend who works with the rescue service there in Little Rock, animal rescue. And so she had told me about this place to call, and I had, and they got back to me, and they said, here's the situation. We have a couple of gentlemen who had applied to adopt an older dog as a companion to their older dog. But while they were waiting for us to clear them, because they run background checks and everything on these people to want to adopt, And he said, um, while we were running that, someone else adopted the dog they were looking at. But they had mentioned our dog to him. said, would you be willing to let them come see? And I said, sure. And so they came out to the house, Lewis and Paul. And uh, Lewis was undergoing treatment for cancer. Real sweet, sweet guys. And uh, normally her dog, when you come in, first come in, if she doesn't know you, Bo is real standoffish, growl, this kind of thing. He immediately ran over to these guys and began to lick on their hands. And they were sitting in the floor playing with him. And my sister's watching this. And I've told her that what we're going to have to do, we're going to have to put her in the nursing home. And I tell her every day, because if you don't, you know, she... She can't remember, and everything's a shock. And so we'd tell her several times. And so that day we had told her they were coming to check on Bo. And she's watching him, and after about an hour, she said, would you gentlemen like to take him with you when you leave? And I'm thinking, oh, my God, because I was thinking, you know, like when she went in, and she said, I'd like to know he's taken care of before I go. And they said, most certainly. And so she went and got their, got his little food tray and his little stuff. And she gave in. She says, that's such a burden off my heart. Because, you know, she loved her dog. She'd had her dog all those years. And she remembered her dog. And he was constantly her companion. But he went without a peep with these gentlemen. And he stayed there up until a few months ago when he passed away. 
And they made him a very good, and I want you to know, it was such a God deal. They took Bo down to see my sister every two or three weeks, and it was a 60-mile trip. And they took him to see her, and they took pictures of him and her together, and they uh, took pictures of other people in the nursing home with the dog. They were petting the dog. And when they'd come back on their next trip, they'd bring the pictures from the last visit and gift to everybody. What a God deal. What a God deal that was. And they have made me a CD with all the pictures of Dorothy and her dog. You know, just super, super nice things. It was far better than I would have ever dreamed it could have been. And Dorothy's reaction to it, see, that was so totally surprising. And the day that I took her down to put her in the nursing home, she looked back at her house, and she had tears in her eyes, and she said, let's go. And so we went down there. Got down there, and I realized I'd forgotten her medication. Well, I knew I was going to have to come back and clean out her house and get it ready to be sold and go through all that rigmarole. And so I turned around after I got her settled in, and I went back down to her house. A truck pulled up. Within five minutes, two gentlemen got out and said, are you going to want to be selling her house? And I said, yes. And they said, we had heard that you were. Could we see the house? And it was the guys that used to work where she worked for so many years, and they gave me about double of what the price would have normally been for Dorothy's house. And they said, because we love and respect Miss Dorothy, we want her to be cared for well. And so, with a handshake, 15 minutes after I was there, they bought the house. Is that a God deal or what? You know? And then my sister had a bunch of really nice things, like I said, that she'd had. And one of the girls that I sponsor uh, works at an antique mall. And she says, I can get a lot better price for a lot of these things than you would at an auction. And so she took them, and she did. You know, it's like there was always somebody there to help and to be in that process. Because you'd pray about it, you'd meditate on it, and there it would be. God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Um, Step 11 brings me into spiritual balance. And I try that I'm not asking God why so much anymore. I'm just accepting the things that happen. You know, why is the argument where I try to convince God that he needs to do it my way? (laughs) You know, that's my explaining to him, you know. Hey, let me tell you why. I try to fill in the spots that you're not aware of, God, you know. And I, I know that God laughs and gets a charge out of stuff like that because God knows everything. And there's the gratitude journal, writing down five things each day that I'm truly grateful for, never writing the same things twice. Develops an attitude of gratitude. You know, it's like the, the kid, the optimist and the pessimist, and they gave the optimist a gift of a room full of manure and they gave the pessimist a room full of toys and the pessimist looked at all the toys and he said you know the batteries are going to go dead they're going to break they're going to fall apart this is crap and the little optimist they turned around and looked there and he had a shovel and he was just going through that manure slinging it ever which way laughing and carrying on they said what you doing he said there's got to be a pony here somewhere (laughs) 
So, so many times we got to look for our pony, you know. You know, I told God one day, if, God, if you have a defect, it's procrastination. Because it seems to me sometimes God's so slow. But God doesn't go on my time frame. And God may be slow, but he's never late. That's the best thing there. And then I have learned the sky is blue. Oh, we have a donor. <laughs> a recipient or a donor. Oh, in the kitchen. That's good. Okay. The sky is blue. You know, the sky is always blue. It's never any other color. Did you know that? Because when you fly, you get up high. Sky is always blue. And what happens is clouds and other things get between you and your view, but the sky never changes. It's still blue. It's always blue. And to me, that's like God. God's always there. Things may get between you and God. You may not can see God, but he's always there just like the sky is always blue. this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. I'm thinking back over the last week or so, forward over the next week or so, there's a lot going on that I will need to use my recovery, all my recovery tools for. This coming weekend, I'll be heading over to New York State, where my parents live, to help celebrate my father's 90th birthday, which is both a happy and a sad occasion because, happy because, hey, he's 90, or he will be in a few days from now. and. Sad because he's really declining in his dementia. So we'll have him in body, we'll have him in spirit, we'll have him in personality, but he won't be quite the same person that I knew for the best part of 60 some odd years. I'm going with very few expectations about what will happen, about how I'll feel, about who will say what. This is the thing that I've found that helps me get through these potentially emotionally traumatic, or traumatic maybe overemphasizing, I don't know, possibly emotionally fraught situations where there's a lot going on. There's a lot of expectations I could have that would not be met, and then I'd be all set up to have resentments and unhappiness. So if I go in without without significant expectations, I set myself up, rather than for resentment, I set myself up to be able to enjoy the moment, to be able to, to go with the flow, as it were, and to be present for for what's actually happening. It's been some of the topic of my shares in in meetings, the last few meetings I've been to, because, yeah, it's what's on my mind. Saturday morning, we had a newcomer at our meeting, and as is our practice, one of the tables was step one, and I moved to that table because I knew this was coming. I knew that I am very certainly powerless over dementia. I needed to hear the message of step one, which is not just powerlessness, but how powerlessness can free me from the struggle to control the things that I can't control. Another thing that I'm still powerless over is the the weather. It has been just raining a lot. And maybe it's been raining a lot where you are too. I understand it's been raining a lot all over, at least the middle part of the country. A lot of flooding going on. Tornadoes, which thankfully we've missed so far, although this is an area of the country that does get tornadoes, usually a little bit later in the year when it's warmer. 
And I find myself saying, why is it raining again? Why is it? But at least the last few days when it's been raining, it's also been warm. On Saturday, (laughs) yeah, speaking of powerlessness, our furnace finally died just as the weather got warm. So that was good. So we're, we're getting a new furnace installed, which meant that really we needed to do some cleaning in our basement around the area where the furnace is so that they'll have space to work. It has gotten a little bit um, overcrowded, let us say. So my wife did some on Friday, and then on Saturday we went down and said, okay, we need to make a space several feet around the furnace, maybe five or six feet, I don't know exactly. So we just set to it, and we focused We focused on just that area. I started actually over in a different section of the basement where I knew there was like a box full of fluorescent bulbs that we needed to get rid of and so on. And I was like, no, let's go over here. I'm like, you're right. You're absolutely right. So focusing on the area around the furnace, we were able to get a lot done in just, I think it wasn't much longer than an hour. Filled up the back of the car with stuff to take to what we used to call the dump when I was young. It's now called the drop-off station. Paid them for the privilege of throwing a bunch of stuff we don't need anymore into a dumpster, and having them properly dispose of over a dozen fluorescent bulbs. Not the CFLs. The CFLs I took to Lowe's, where they have recycling for free, but these were tubular fluorescents, which Lowe's doesn't take. And the thing about that was that once we just did the first thing, first things first, the first thing that we had to do to clean out that section of the basement, it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. I look at the whole thing. I look at the whole thing and I say, this is too much. I cannot do this. But when I pick a piece of it, you know, what's the first thing I have to do? What am I going to do just for today? Then it suddenly becomes manageable. And I think that's, it's not even a metaphor. I mean, it's just an example of, of how these principles can work in all areas of my life. When I see something like, oh God, my wife drinks too much. It's totally unmanageable. Well, what, what is one thing I can do? You know, what is one thing I can do right now? Yeah. Had some good, good weather too this weekend. Monday was nice. We got outside and finished planting our deck pots, which we have flowers and some vegetables in. Every year, the vegetables, it's a fight between us and the squirrels as to who gets the most. I think the squirrels usually win. But it's still, even if we just get a few tomatoes, a couple of peppers, it's something we created and something we did that connects us, connects us to the world, connects us to nature, connects us more to our higher power, I think. Matthew left a voicemail with a prayer in it. thought I'd share that here. Hi, Spencer. This is Matthew. wanted to say hi, wish you well. I'm a little behind in my episodes, but I did want to share a really great Al-Anon prayer that I came across. I've been really focused on healthy communicating. And in a great book that Al-Anon publishes called Making Choices on page 202, the writer offers a prayer when he's going into a challenging conversation. And the prayer is, God, please be present while I'm with this other person. Give me the words and intonation that will make our communication the most effective. I pray that you control the course of the conversation and that the outcome be best for all concerned. Thank you, and I appreciate your service. Have a great day. Matthew, that's just, that is a wonderful prayer for life, for using recovery in our life. Thank you. Eric and I have a, have an episode coming up with sayings. He's got a huge long list of sayings that he's now working to pick out the few that he thinks are 
most important for him at least, will be left with plenty of material for, for future episodes, I think, as well. So if you have a favorite saying, a favorite quote, quotes and sayings, that's what it is, that uh, you want us to include, send it in. You can call and leave a voicemail, 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website. And if you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at show. We have a contact page at therecovery.show slash contact, which lists all the different ways you can contribute to our conversation here. We would love to hear from you. Please share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic, Step 11, or any of our upcoming topics or topics you'd like us to talk about. Our website is therecovery.show, which has all the information about the show, notes for each episode, links to the music, the books that we talk about in episodes. So check us out there. Also, a subscribe button if you're not already subscribed. Got some emails this week. Christopher writes, I really appreciate your podcast from here in Vancouver, Canada. The one on Would You Rather Be Right or Happy particularly spoke to me. My qualifier started drinking 10 years ago after she took early retirement. Have you done any podcasts on living with people who started drinking later in life? As well, my qualifier now has a number of alcohol-related ailments, including a loss of memory and loss of executive functions. I am necessarily her caregiver and not her partner. Have you done any episodes on dealing with people who have become incompetent as a result of their drinking? Thanks, Christopher. And I can't say, no, we, we haven't really touched on either of those topics. And I think not having that experience, the best way for me to be able to address those topics would be for a listener who has that experience to appear as a guest on the show. Maybe just to talk about your experience. We don't need you know, a deep dive into the theoretical aspects of these situations. What, what helps us, what helps us all is just the experience. You share your experience, strength, and hope, and, and we gain from it. So if you are living with somebody who started drinking later in life or you had that experience, if you are living with somebody who has become incompetent as a result of drinking. I encourage you to share that experience so that other listeners like Christopher can gain from it. Thank you. Sally says, Hi, I've been in Al-Anon for 10 years and I just discovered your podcast. So thankful. Love it. I still struggle with how to handle situations with difficult loved ones. My husband and I recently had a family party, including immediate and extended family, to celebrate our youngest son's college graduation. One of our adult children seems to be in combat mode the minute she steps foot in family situations and social situations in general. In my opinion, she is rude and tries to find things to criticize or argue about. I love her and want to include her, but I find myself getting very stressed when I know she will be at family get-togethers or really anything social. She is not necessarily rude to me, but she is rude to others. I feel like my Al-Anon program has taught me not to fight other people's battles for them. However, it is our home, and I want guests and family to feel comfortable. I would greatly appreciate your insight. Thank you, Sally. That's a tough one. Um, I'm an adult child who sometimes says things that I really disagree with that I know bother other people because I've heard it from some of those other people. But I love my child, and I want to include them, as you say. And I think... The only thing I can do is to take care of myself and to recognize that this person is who they are. You know, my child is who they are. And as you say, they need to fight their own battles. It might or it might not be helpful to have a conversation saying something about, 
you know, it bothers me when I see you being rude to the guests in my home when we're together to celebrate something. And I feel like I, I don't want you there, but I love you and I do want you there. What can we do to make this situation easier for everybody? I don't know. I'm just thinking off the top of my head here. It's just tough. It really is. But it is her battle, not yours. As an adult, she really is no longer your responsibility. I understand feeling responsible for the things my kids do and say. I do feel responsible for the things my kids do and say, even though I know that at this point in their life, I'm not. And there's nothing I can really do to change them, except to express my feelings. I feel hurt. I feel embarrassed when you are rude to my guests. That sort of statement. I don't know. Thanks, Sally. Thanks for the thoughts. Roxy says, hello from Trinidad and Tobago. Oh my, how I am so happy I came across this gem you all have. There is not a lot of healthy Al-Anon meetings here, so I'm so happy you do all these podcasts. Well, thank you for writing, Roxy. Trinidad and Tobago, if I remember correctly, is a pair of islands just off the north coast of South America, right? Near, what, Venezuela? Am I correct there? Anyway, wonderful to hear from people all over the world and to know that we are having an impact, that we are helping people all over the world. Terence says, Alanon has saved my life, and the show is a beautiful and enlightening link to this magical gift with sincere gratitude. Well, I am grateful to you, Terence. Thank you. Got a review in Apple Podcasts. Says, I have to thank Spencer for his time and effort spent on these podcasts. There are so many wonderful episodes that all deal with Alanon, but are also individual. It is a definite must to listen if someone you love suffers from an addiction. Thank you for writing that review. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show. We do have expenses. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Molly, Terrence, Paula, Eric, and James did. And thank you again, Molly, Terrence, Paula, Eric, and James, for your support. We've put together a list of recovery-related books. Click or tap on the books link in the menu at the top of the page. If you're in the U.S. and you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to therecovery.show or just listening to us. We are here for you. Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.